Hey there, I'm Charlie Dice, and you're listening to the Life Beyond Infertility Podcast, a podcast devoted to providing information and sharing stories surrounding how to accept your infertility and learning to live a happy, fulfilled life beyond it. As a life after infertility coach and someone who's personally been through the ups and downs of trying to conceive and passionate about helping women feel confident and empowered to take their lives back and find the joy in them again. I believe this area is a crucial missing link in the infertility space. And by talking about it and sharing our stories, we help break the stigma. So let's dive in. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Life Beyond Infertility podcast. I'm your host, Charlie, and I am joined today by Monique Farouk. I was honored to be on her podcast recently, and so I am returning the favor uh, by having her on as a guest, and she's here to share her story, what she went through, um, and she's also doing amazing things in the infertility space and allowing women to share their stories and uh, bring awareness to this issue and, you know, not have it be such a taboo topic anymore, which is what we really need. So welcome, Monique. I'm excited to have you, and thank you so much for joining me today. Yes, it's my absolute pleasure, Charlie. I appreciate you for coming on the show on Infertility and Me and then also having me on your show. Uh, you didn't have to do it, but you did. So I appreciate you. And I hope today's episode is useful for all your listener friends. So, yeah. Thank you, girl. Yeah, absolutely. Well, let's kind of start with some background. How, like, just kind of tell the listeners a little bit about your story and how you came to be, you know, where you're at today with things. Yeah, so it all started in 2012 when I was 29 and I had been married for two years at that point. And it was early 2012 when I had a a consultation with a fertility clinic. I hadn't been pregnant before. I had spent many years prior in my earlier 20s and late teens on birth control. After about like the age 18, 18 and a half, I put myself on birth control and I had, I remained on it for probably up until a year before I met my husband. A year before that I got off of it, it was time um, to take that good old break after so many years that they recommend. And I was actually on the shot, which is after five years, they tell you to get off of it and such. And so much like Charlie has said on this show is that she didn't always have that innate motherly I don't even know what the word is but she didn't feel that right away as a woman as a young woman coming into her womanhood and I honestly was the same way I spent many years believing that I would never be a mother I don't know call me selfish or whatever the case may be I liked my freedom you know in that way and being able to come and go as I please and I watched other people be single moms and so I knew how difficult it would be and so I did everything I could like many of us do to prevent pregnancy before we wanted it and so at the time when I got the first consultation at 29 and 2012 I started feeling that that inkling uh, after my husband and I got married and even when we were dating, it was like, maybe I'll have one, you know. Um, and I saw that I was the only child from my mother's side. And I'm the third, the last on my father's side. Being that I grew up in a household by myself, most uh, only children usually don't have any or they have very little children as far as the, the count. And so I was that girl, you know, I was free ball in life, you know, and going to school here and there when I felt like it. And as far as college and higher education, 
And when I met my husband, yeah, I knew that I would have to give him at least one. So that was okay with me by that point. But yeah, so back to the first RE consult, it just wasn't happening. It was not happening a year. In the year prior to that, our first year, we weren't not trying to prevent it. It was always that kind of thing for us. When we got married, my husband was already really well established in his career. And so um, there was no reason for us to wait as far as uh, money is concerned and having the financial stability. We worked together after we got married and I worked in our family businesses and such. And so, yeah, the monetary aspect wasn't an issue for us. And so we didn't really try to prevent it in the beginning. And, you know, two years went by early 2012 I'm like okay well I'm going to see a specialist because something doesn't feel right I'm a very spiritual self uh, person and so I'm also very spiritually aware of my body and what's happening with it always have been I was like something's just off it's not it's not it's not giving what it's supposed to be giving like the kids say now you know and so I was like I gotta do something and so I told him I was going to the clinic and he was like okay that's fine if you want to get checked out see if there's any issues or anything like that and I said you know I never had any SED so I wasn't really concerned with there being any scar tissue or anything like that but I just knew innately something was happening that shouldn't have been happening and so I go to the clinic and she refers me out of course to the radiologist to get the HSG to check the fallopian tubes in the uterus you know the common scope of work and and, and for consults and such and so I go to the um, HSG and it turns out that my right fallopian tube was blocked and they tried twice that um, appointment because I was able to withstand withstand the kind of like the sharp pain that happens when they insert the dye into your fallopian tubes. And so he gave me a few minutes and then um, like 15, 20 minutes or so. And um, they tried again and it didn't work. I was like, OK, well, at least I know now what could be part of the culprit. But again, I didn't have any issues with my luteal phase back then. And I didn't have issues with not getting a period every month. Like my period has always been like clockwork unless I go really hard in the gym. Sometimes it might come a little bit later or something like that. But other than that, um, throughout the history of my menstrual cycle, beginning at the age of 10, I hadn't had any anything happening with my menses that was cause for concern it was very regular very normal how would I have known if I had never gone and so I always say that even though because what happens next is we didn't go for another four and a half years to seek help and so I always say that even if we had never gone through IVF and I had just had that one HSG and I said okay well I know I have this issue and I continue to try it naturally at least I know that there's something that there's an issue there that, uh, you know, decreases the chances of us getting pregnant with having one operating fallopian tube that's open. So I still had to be monitored in a way because and be mindful of sexual activity after that. I've seen cases, really wild cases. I don't know if you have, Charlie, where like a woman will get pregnant, but she has a blocked fallopian tube and then she ends up with an ectopic pregnancy because somehow the egg has gone from this side to the next side, floated on along and ended up in the side that it didn't actually ovulate from and she has and mm-hmm. she has an ectopic all of a sudden right and so I was always concerned about things like this we did have an IUI after that like the following week we had an IUI 
and that was unsuccessful. Because you said you waited another four years then before, like after your HSG, and then you had the IUI, and then you waited four years? Is that the timeline? I apologize if I made you guys confused. So we had the HSG a week after that, two weeks after that, we had the IUI. And then after that, we didn't go back for like four and a half years to get help again Okay. Um, in reproductive care. And was that just a, obviously it was a personal decision, but, um, you know, was there a reason for that or you just wanted to continue to try to conceive naturally? It was it was the latter, just wanting to try it at home continuously, and it was really more so my husband than me. I wanted to go to the next steps at that time, and he wasn't ready, you know, even though he didn't have the diagnosis because he was also checked by the clinic and stuff, you know, to make sure that his sperm count and motility and morphology was all healthy. And he was like, you know, we'll st- we're still young. You were still very young because at the time, again, I was 29. He said, let's just continue to try at home. And I, and, I, and I said, okay, because an unnecessary fight for what, you know. Yeah, four years goes by. And during that four years, it's a lot of self-hate, you know, not really loving oneself consistently, I would say. Um, because mm-hmm. we do have moments. We're not perfect. We're going to have feelings of of not liking ourselves at times. But consistently liking myself I didn't like myself too much during that time and it wasn't you couldn't see the turmoil basically in my face and and mainly it's because I delved deeper into work much like you spoke about on my show and that was my crutch that was my rock you know a lot of people talk about their spouses being their rock and me personally, I don't believe in putting that much pressure on another human being when they're having to cope with their own issues. And so I'm very, I'm a very independent person, always have been. And um, in relationships, I'm very interdependent. And so there's a lot of emotional things that I went through that I didn't bother him with. And even though it affected him, because there were things that I did that I shouldn't have done, um, being rebellious about my situation, like staying out super late as a married woman with my friends, and I shouldn't have done that, you know, little dumbass things, overworking myself. And luckily, I enjoyed what I did um, because I, that could have went left with dealing with employees who were pregnant and watching women who worked expecting to become pregnant, become pregnant. That was um, a lot of my triggering back then was not necessarily strangers all the time, but people that I knew personally who weren't trying to get pregnant and were getting pregnant. That was always a big trigger for me back then. Now I'm a lot more compassionate, empathetic. And so I'm not judging anyone. And I never did judge anyone, but it was just like, she wasn't even trying to get freaking pregnant. Here I am, you know, mm-hmm. really intentional about my life and how I want it to look, and it's not working. Come on, somebody's got to, something's got to give, you know. And so it was very hard. But again, I'm a very spiritual person, and so I leaned a lot on my spiritual practices. There was no one to talk to, you know, no one in my family other than my aunt had been through this, and she was actually in her late 30s when she attempted to become pregnant and found that that she had severe damage to her fallopian tubes and they tried for a few years and other than that she was the only person but I didn't tell her right away and so that was just me over I didn't want to have to explain 
like you said, I didn't want to have to explain this whole thing, get the whole scope of what's happening and have a normal conversation after that. Like, <laughs> you know, it doesn't work. Right. That way. There's no normal conversation after that. People like, I'll, even when I talk about it now so freely and laughing and stuff like that, people were like, sis, I don't know why you're laughing. It's not funny. <laughs> it's not funny right. at all. It, yeah, it makes people <laughs> very, very uncomfortable. <laughs> oh my gosh. And then, and then I'm laughing and joking like, girl, I was crazy back then. I was doing all kinds of stupid stuff. Almost, I could have, he probably could have left me if he wanted to. I was just out there just being dumb. Eventually, I got my ish together. I did that for about probably a good year. I drove that man crazy for about a good year. Well, good on him for sticking by, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. And we try our best sometimes to push him out, but yeah. Exactly. And it wasn't like I was out there doing crazy stuff every day. It's just like every now and again. Oh, I would stay out till 3 a.m. with my girls <laughs> at a bar mm-hmm. somewhere just hanging out. And I think a lot of times now when I reflect on it, it's like I was really trying to separate myself from this issue, from the pain and the hurt and live my life the way I did before I was married, before I was trying to yeah. do this adult stuff. Right. And I think that's where it came from a lot of times. And so eventually I got my ish together like I always do. And I found a way to ground myself long enough to realize that I really have to work on emotional feelings that I'm feeling, um, being more vocal about it and more expressive verbally about it. Um, I'm not very emotionally reactive person, but I'm also not very emotionally expressive and speaking it a lot of times again I'm very self-sufficient so I will deal with things on my own and unless there's someone who I know I who truly gets it that I open up I'm a lot more open than I used to be after infertility I would say I began to work on my spiritual practices and delve more deeper into them in a way that I had never done before I went to see Reiki specialists I went to see hypnotherapists and those were very effective, very helpful for me and what I wanted to accomplish because I didn't want to get pregnant naturally or through ART and then not be capable emotionally of raising this child and being um, available to the child emotionally and to decrease my chances of having postpartum depression should it happen. And that was my thinking. And I said, you know, what? I just got to get serious again about my spiritual stuff and get back on my game. And I did. And so for the next three and a half years, I repaired what I had damaged emotionally in my marriage. And then also he repaired me and built myself back up um, and learned to love myself in the midst of this medical issue that I was wasn't prepared for and didn't see happening and back then this is 2012 nobody no platforms you go on in youtube in, in right. apple podcast or spotify the the oldest show you'll probably see is like as a woman by dr natalie crawford and the egg whisperer by dr amy out of california they have like some of the oldest fertility related IVF podcasts that I've ever seen and even storytelling podcasts like yours and eyes. There's nothing before like 2019 that's still running today. There's no way I was getting on Instagram back then. I mean, like Instagram was new then, you know, I was on there, right. but I wasn't talking about fertility and stuff, you know, I did a lot of self-improvement 
and a lot of self-healing. And when the time came for us to go back to the specialist and I was like, look, it's been four and a half years, dude. I'm at the anniversary dinner in 2015 and I'm like, we got to do something because mm -hmm. not having working clearly. And it's been six years in total at this point that we have been together and seven or eight years since I had been off of birth control. I've given you four and a half years, okay, of continuing mm -hmm. to try at home, trying sometimes and not really trying other times. It should have happened by now. And I'm a very, very a lot more patient than I would have been, girl. I'm like, oh, oh I'm not waiting that long. Listen, if it wasn't for the spiritual ish in me, just staying grounded in that. And, 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 and honestly, right before that, I was like, you know what? If I don't have any kids, it's fine. It's okay too. But I really wanted one. <laughs> I really wanted one by this point, you know? What are we going to do? This was the anniversary dinner 2015. And I'm like, what are we going to do? It's been four and a half years. I've given you time. I've done it your way. Okay. Yeah. Now let's do it the other way because there's, there's more than one way to do things. He's very headstrong like I am, um, very forthright and things like that. And so he was he respected the honesty. And I said, you know, you can't outbeat science. Um, you just can't. Whatever's happening to me biologically that's affecting my fertility and reproductive organs and systems and the way it operates, there's nothing you can do about it, sir. And so he was like, okay, let's just go back and, and do the consult again. Of course, when so long, so much time has passed by, you always got to start from scratch, right? And so yeah. found a new clinic. We're back in Maryland at this point because the first time we were in PA at the time living. And so we're back in Maryland, back home in a DMV. And I found a specialist um, called Dominion Fertility. Shout out to them. If anybody's looking for a good specialist, Dominion Fertility. Uh, they had a luckily they had a female reproductive endocrinologist. She's very nice, very uh, straightforward, no holds bar, honest about your case. And so, HSG reveals that there's no more blockage there. Okay, so I don't know some of that wow. social stuff must have worked. The supplements or something must have worked, right? <laughs> uh, I've never heard that. That's amazing. That yeah, I'm telling you, yeah. It was truly remarkable and um, a, a really huge surprise and which made me further believe that if it was going to happen naturally, it would have happened at some point that blockage cleared. And he said, so that's great news. Everything's looking fantabulous. You can move forward. And so we did. But then at this time, I was having luteal phase issues. That was one. And then uh, I also was diagnosed with borderline hypothyroidism. So my thyroid wasn't producing enough hormones. And mm -hmm. so I was put on medication for that for three months before I can even do anything. Couldn't even start a cycle, nothing for three months until that medication had time to do what it was supposed to do. And then I also had some polyps that needed to be removed from inside my uterus that weren't there before. So all of that best is with implantation, as we know. And so after those things were complete, three months of the hypothyroid medication and the inpatient outpatient surgery for the polyps, got those things taken care of. It's July of 2016 and we're entering into our first cycle and we do the egg retrieval, collect the sperm, nothing happens. The uh, embryo didn't progressed past like day two before it started de deteriorating so that was a bust and 
we waited till the next month to uh, try again. And that one was the, was the one, my little one. And that was August of 2016. And that transfer date was August 19th. And two weeks later, I found out I was pregnant. And it was the first time that I had never got my period in my entire life. So Omar Jr. is six and a half. He'll be seven in January, late. And it was a rough pregnancy here and there. For the, uh, for the most part, I was okay physically, but I was borderline uh, placental previa, which means mm -hmm. the placenta is covering the top of the cervix. And so it causes bleeding that happened around like 14 weeks. I had a really bad scare one Friday night. It was horrible. I thought I was going to lose this baby that I spent all this money on. Okay. And time and effort and years and tears, but he survived and my uterus got itself together, got its act together. And um, I was okay until 23 weeks and I went into premature labor, labor, I'm sorry, on a Friday night very late uh, bleeding again like the 14 week scare and this time it was real because it didn't stop and I gotta go to the bathroom go to the bathroom dripping blood freaking out I run upstairs call my husband let him know what's happening I was going to the hospital luckily the hospital is only 15 minutes away from our house I did call the ambulance to have myself transported we get there they do an evaluation to see if he's coming in and if they should prep me for labor and I was a couple centimeters dilated they said at the time and later find out that I wasn't as far uh, dilated as they had thought but I needed to stay off of my feet and so I was admitted to another hospital that specializes in high-risk pregnancies because when you become pregnant through IVF you are automatically considered high risk and me as a black woman I am at higher risk regardless of IVF or natural pregnancy in the medical system isn't that crazy we do better at home giving birth than we do at a hospital that's the topic for Dandy I was there for a week and a half before giving birth to him and after that I was there for another three days and then I went home for a week and was back in the hospital for hemorrhaging so I had started bleeding again um, at home a week after giving birth and come to find out there was some placental tissue still in my uterus that hadn't been cleared out completely during C-section when I gave birth at 24 weeks and four days. And so I lasted about a week in there before he just couldn't take it no more. He had to get out. That's my story to momhood, you guys. That's the long version. Yeah, it was a, it was a time. <laughs> it was a time. Uh, time. <laughs> Oh, well, thank you so much for sharing that. Everybody's story is is so different, but yet there's also these threads of similarity um, between all of us. And yeah, it just seems like there's so much that, you know, women have to endure in general. I, I really thank you for sharing that with our listeners, um, because I'm sure that, you know, others have gone through similar situations and will resonate with your story. So I appreciate you sharing with us. Yes, absolutely. It's my absolute pleasure. And none of this we are prepared for, right? And so right. whether you are infertile or were diagnosed as infertile because of your body not functioning right or whether you've been sick with cancer and it took your fertility with it, you know, regardless of all of that, there's nothing you could have done 
to prepare emotionally for any of it. And even if you are an emotionally intelligent person, you're still going to have to get through it. You just you just know the tools better to serve you in your circumstance. And that's that's really the way I view it. That's the way I talk to people, regardless of if we're talking about fertility or not. Like, you know, even if you are emotionally intelligent, you still it does not mean that you're not going to have to go through things. And so just building up those tools to help you weather the storm and to get through it and to do it in the most dignified way possible. <laughs> yeah, well, sometimes undignified works too, so. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm telling you, especially when you're dealing with men and their stubbornness, okay? <laughs> mm-hmm, right. So for you personally, you talked about tools and everything, and I know on your podcast we talked about the fact that we as women, you know, and, and girls growing up just really are not told that this is even a possibility for us, that things won't work out the way that the nursery rhymes say they will. When that became your reality, what other tools kind of did you, your spirituality, you know, what mm-hmm. what other coping mechanisms really kind of helped you to navigate what we're not told is even really a possibility as little girls? Yeah, so along with spiritual practices, I altered my eating not like I was a terrible eater before, but there were things that we, you know, we can always improve upon. And so I did those things and I even found myself trying out a uh, vegetarian lifestyle and veganism as well, just to, in my mind, it felt like I was detoxing myself of all the years of alcohol, you know, and as well as the birth control that I had been on for so long. And for me, it just, whether it was really going to work or not, in which I believe it does, because food is and, and food is power, and it can be healing if done correctly, or if you eliminate processed foods as much as possible from your diet. I focused a lot on nutrition and just being a healthy overall individual as a whole. And because again, if you're going to get pregnant or you have the opportunity or you're blessed to get pregnant, then you have to sustain this life as well as your own body, you know, we're doing double the work when we're pregnant. And so even if you've miscarried, I know, you know, like for you, Charlie, you, you've had a couple of miscarriages. And I know like when you were pregnant in your early stages, you were like, (laughs) it's me and you now kid. Okay. we got to get this thing Mm -hmm. together and stuff. And so that's kind of what my mental was in, in waiting that four and a half years and trying to be a better human um, for this life that would come or that I was hoping would come to me. And also, again, (laughs) self-loving on me a lot more and letting that self-love direct and guide me as to what I needed to do, which is how I ended up at the Reiki in the hypnotherapist's offices. And so um, just being aware of what my soul and my body needed and a lot of exercising. I actually love to lift weights and um, mm-hmm. strength train. I like that more than cardio, to be quite honest. Yes, very yes, honest. Thank a lot God of someone weight. else says it. Oh my gosh. Yes, girl. Give me some weights. <laughs> we may right. make it through. But, you know, I'm just, that's how I think. I think about the next steps or what could happen. And I don't stay there, but I just know enough and I reflect enough to prepare. 
as much as I can. What what I can't control, I focus on that. And that is me. <laughs> I can control mm-hmm. me. I can't control mm-hmm. anything else. And so I focused on things that I could control, which was how much I worked. If I could push myself physically um, through athleticism and strength training and working out, and the spiritual self. And I just focused on the whole self. It sounds very cliche because we see self-care and things like that all over the interwebs now. But I'm telling you, you guys, if you don't have any kind of form of spiritual practices, not saying it's religious based, but just focusing on the wholeness and the well-being of who you are, you're missing out, man. You're missing out. And I know it's hard. And I know it's hard because there's some ugly things that might come up as you work through bettering yourself mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. And, um, you know, there was times I cried in the gym because something came up. We just have to listen to our own body and what it's telling us that we need. That's kind of how- Whether you become a mother or not, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then for women like yourself who have gone through miscarriages, like that's so important because people don't, I don't think a lot of people realize and recognize how hard miscarriage is on the body um, and that mm-hmm. whole process. And if I if I remember correctly, you said it took you about eight months after one of your losses to really start feeling physically like yourself again, right? Yeah. I mean, my cycle was messed up for, you know, those entire eight months, I mean, I was bloated. I was, you know, emotional. My my whole physicality was changed. Like I couldn't work out because I'd start bleeding or I couldn't go for long walks because I'd start bleeding. Like it was just such a kind of like mind F, you know, and you just don't know when it's going to end. I think whatever your story is, you've gone through a lot with infertility. There's trauma attached to it. And so I think that self-care aspect, a lot of us just forget about during that whole process. And so I'm really glad that you brought that up because like I said, whether you become a mother through it or not, it's still just something that as a woman or as a human being, you know, you should be trying to to take better care of yourself because like you said, you're the only thing that you can really control. Yeah, absolutely. Totally agree. You know, it really just amazes me how much our bodies do endure and whether we put it through it or not, or whether the issue is created within our bodies, you know, like women who suffer from endometriosis, severe cases and things like that, you know, our bodies are made to heal. Whether that means you heal emotionally and you walk away from treatments without having the family that you desired, or whether you get to walk away like I did, but in very arduous terms, we we didn't know if he was going to survive in that NICU for four months, you know, and so however your path turned out, you really just have to check in with you and don't stray away from checking in with you. You are the most important thing in your life, regardless of your relationship status or parenthood status. It's going to work in those other areas if you aren't concerned with you. Yeah. And you said at the beginning that you, maybe you didn't feel selfish, but it it does give the connotation of being selfish when we're women growing up and we're not really sure if we want to be mothers. And I think self-care too gets a lot of flack for being selfish. What do you say to those people that say that that's selfish, that as a mother, I mean, you're a mother. I mean, I'm a mother in a spiritual sense, but, yeah. you know, what do you say to those people that say, well, you're focusing on self-care. Shouldn't you be focusing on your child or on your husband or, you know, here's the thing. And I don't mean to get political right now, but it all kind of ties in together. 
we live in a patriarchal structured society. And what that means is that it teaches us as women to center any and everyone else, especially males and men, before we center ourselves. I went on a deep, deep dive about a week ago. And I have another platform that's totally unrelated to fertility. And I speak about these types of things. I did the research to connect the spiritual to the flaws of patriarchy. And basically what I stumbled upon was Maslow's hierarchy of need. At the lowest of our nature or the root chakra as well, we need food, water, and shelter. And at the highest of ourselves, at the crown chakra, we can come to self-actualization, wanting to learn more about the subconscious and the spiritual aspects of things and elevating who we are spiritually. And so self-love is the center of our heart chakra. That's where our emotional burdens are as well. And so when you heal those areas of your life, emotional things, self-love, which is the umbrella and self-care is underneath of that, of how you can achieve self-love, or you can do it in groups together in community with other women, which is I highly recommend. We as women are biologically very communal species and we need one another. And for us to be isolated from one another in these marriages, this is why self-care is important because you cannot know who you are if you don't have time or make the time and be intentional about making the time for you you will lose you okay especially if you did end up with a kid like I did and even if you don't you can get so wrapped up in your spouse even if you guys don't have children and you forget about yourself, you forget about your own goals and dreams. Not necessarily forget, but you put it on the back burner, right? A lot of mothers do right. it. A lot of wives do it. Let's keep it honest and let's be real about it. I've done it for periods of times and then I've had to bring myself back. Self-care has been scientifically proven that it is necessary as you are on your self-love journey, which is a lifetime thing. There is no self-love or there is no self-love without self-care and there's no self-care without self-love really basically it's what the research found self-love is the basis and the foundation of how you interact and form relationships with other people as well the great thing about building community with women is because we are communal and we are very uh, giving we cultivate whatever is given to us right and so the great thing is that we could be in community in spaces with one another and we may have feel drained and depleted when we got there. But when we leave, we feel empowered and we feel like we're back on our game. And you will find that when you arrive, you may have been feeling drained, but then you find yourself not only receiving energy back, that feminine energy back, but you also have some more to give. You didn't think you had anything to give when you got there. But you find out being in that space with other women has given you, has opened up more of you and you can receive and give at the same time. That's why women need each other. This is not a race thing. This is a female Mm -hmm. feminine energy thing. And it's creative. It's nurturing. It's loving. It's empathetic. It's compassionate. and And it's understanding. And it disconnects us from the analytical side of our brains for a minute so we can just breathe and be. (laughs) that's really powerful stuff and i you know thank you for sharing that research and i hope that the listeners you know if you are doubtful about self-care and self-love like definitely go you know check it out and do your own your own digging and that kind of ties into 
your platform and my platform here through podcasting, just talking about it. I think as women, we just need to, as a community, express ourselves better. And we can do that through telling our stories. And I think that's really a huge part of the, at least for me, and I, maybe for you too, you know, a huge part of our healing journey. How did you, you know, how did kind of your experience and your story then translate into your podcast? So I wanted to give back and because I had spent so long, four and a half years silently kind of suffering through infertility, I didn't want other women of color to feel that way. And of course they do. But when I got online, and this was after my son was born and he was home from the NICU, and he's about two years old. And I started getting this inkling to like build a platform and community for women, right? And I don't discourage men from coming on the show. As, as you know, I have men on the show as well or non-binaries as well. And so I really just wanted to create a space where women of all nationalities could come and feel seen and feel heard. And I knew that I could build something because there weren't any other women of color or Black women speaking openly on public platforms that weren't celebrities, that were everyday women like us, other than um, Erica from Sisters in Laws. And hers is Black women, faith, Christian, centered other than that, there was one other woman who was also faith-based. Uh, her name is Danielle Joseph. It's called the Infertility Podcast. Those were the only two women who were brown or black that were speaking openly on public platforms, creating community. And so I saw the gap. I saw the need on the online spaces, especially Instagram, trying to find community and people to connect with. I saw the need once I got on there and started doing like market research, right? And I said, well... I guess I'll have to do it. And that was the beginning of the concept of Infertility and Me podcast, which I began in November of 2019. And the concept for the show, I started in July of 2019. So I worked a, a couple months with research, um, learning podcasting platforms and learning YouTube creator, creatorship and such. And I just started with audio first. And I've just been building on top of that. I take breaks when I need it and come back to recording and interviewing because interviewing is very um, arduous. It's a lot of moving part. Um, when I need a break, I take the break. And everybody knows I'm going to come back with some new episodes when I come back. <laughs> Sometimes I go way too long, six months at a time. But to me, it's more important that I have quality over quantity. I think what you're doing with your podcast is amazing. And good on you for being one of those that not only started it for, you know, Black women, but has been continuing it. Uh, for the long yeah. run. And that's, I think, what women need to see is the consistency and that we're not going to go away. We're going to still keep talking about this. And I love your podcast and I love what you're doing in this space. And um, just want to thank you. Yeah, it's my absolute pleasure to be able to connect with you and other women. And your podcast is all is also a very supportive, warm, feels like a healing space for those on, in between, or after, and um, I tune in weekly to you. I just think that there's space for everyone. <laughs> you know, we Absolutely. all kind of a little different. We have different connections to different people that we may not come into contact with. And so as more podcasts have been created in this space, you know, they're all so uniquely different and offer something entirely different. You just have to find the one that, or the few that, that work for you. I know women mm -hmm. listen to about three or four at a time because they get something different from each platform within this space. 
You know, some people will follow the doctors for the information. Some people will follow us indie creators for the uh, raw and realness of the shows and not being scripted and such like that, you know. And so it just you just got to find what resonates with you and, and stick to that. And when it's no longer something that you need because you feel like you have healed, just know it'll still be there when if you can, if you need to come back, you know. Absolutely. Come back to things too. Well, I want to respect your time. I do always ask my guests this, though, as the last question. If you could tell your 18-year-old self anything, you know, what's the best piece of advice? It doesn't have to be related to infertility or relationships or anything, but what would you tell that girl knowing what you know now? I would tell her to, one, slow down because I can be a little impatient. (laughs) And two, it will work out. It will be okay. And you're going to be all right. You will be all right. And I say that not to dismiss women who are going through abusive situations or in the midst of very tumultuous times, griefs and things like that. But even in that, you will be okay. But you do have to do the work to get to that other side of joy again and feeling fulfilled. You know, this is why a lot of people avoid self-care and self-love and self-healing because it's work. You deserve it. You deserve to be healed. You deserve to be whole. And it's going to be okay. It's going to be all right. (laughs) I love that. Like I said, I love your podcast. I love what you're doing. Where can people find you? What's the best way to to reach out? Yeah, so you guys can reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com on the gram at infertility and me podcast or my personal instagram page just my name monique Farouk, and you can connect with me through either platform awesome and we'll, we will put all of monique's uh information that she just shared with you in the show notes so it's easy to find her and i really encourage you guys to go check out you know, all of her platforms and support her mm-hmm. so Monique, thank you so much again for being on today. And uh, I'd love to have you back. I think there's a lot more that we can unpack, you know. Anytime. I love the pod. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I just want to thank our listeners for tuning in today. And I will see you in the next episode. If you like this episode, be sure to download, subscribe, and leave a review on whatever platform you're listening to this podcast. It really helps the show and helps me know the exact information my listeners want to talk about. For more information on accepting infertility and finding happiness beyond it, visit my website, www.charliedice.com. That's Charlie spelled C-H-A-R-L-I-E dice, D-I-C-E dot com. Stay tuned for next week's episode.